Good morning, Southwinds, and our guests all across the country. Thanks for joining us today. Before we dig into our study, I want to remind you that we have postponed our outdoor on-campus service this week because of air quality issues. We've also postponed celebrating the Lord's Supper until next week so that our on-campus and online attenders can celebrate together. And I also want to say thank you to our Southwinds Disaster Relief volunteers who have been serving evacuees from the Creek Fire down in the Fresno area all this week. They've been delivering meals and supplies and spiritual support to people in real need. And I want to encourage you to keep them in your prayers. I also want you to be encouraged to know that this is one of the many life-changing ministries that you resource when you give. And let me just say personally to you, thank you so very much. Now, last week, we began our new teaching series in 1 Peter called Hope for Exiles. Today, we're going to be studying 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. You want to get your Bibles open to that passage. And we're going to be talking about how hopeful exiles live. I want to begin with a true story. A newspaper reported it a few years ago. A woman who owned a parakeet named Chippy decided one day to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She thought, I can clean Chippy's cage. I won't need to take him out. And so she, she took the attachment off the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. She was just about done when the phone rang. She turned to answer it and had barely said hello when she heard a noise. And she turned around and Chippy was gone. A couple of feathers were floating in the air. Frantically, she opened the vacuum and there was Chippy, still alive, covered with dirt and dust. She told the reporter, I think I panicked because she ran into the bathroom, put Chippy under the faucet, turned the faucet on full blast and then stuck him there to clean him off. And then still in panic mode, she dried him off with a hairdryer, blasting Chippy with hot air, all before she put him back in his cage. A few days later, when the reporter asked how Chippy was doing, she said, well, Chippy's fine, but he doesn't sing much anymore. He just kind of sits and stares. You know, 2020 has more than three months to go. And I'm wondering right now, how many of you feel a little bit like Chippy? It's like you've been sucked in, covered with dirt, half drowned, and then blasted with burning hot air. But as we discussed last week, as hard as this year has been for us, most of us have likely not faced anything like what the people who first read 1 Peter encountered. When Peter wrote these words, the persecution of the church by Nero was heating up. Persecution was growing. And many of the Christians in the churches scattered across the provinces of Asia Minor had already suffered and lost much. Probably in a church in Pontus, a family listened to this letter whose home had just been burned down because of their faith. In Galatia, a woman who listened to 1 Peter was a widow now whose husband had been killed because of their faith. And in a church in Bithynia, a small group of children orphaned by the swords of government officials, well, they were listening to Peter's words. You see, it was to Christ followers like these that Peter wrote these beautiful joy-filled, life-giving words. I want you to get your copy of God's word open and I want you to listen to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 12 and keep people like this 
in mind. This is what we read in God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Last week, we learned that Peter called Christ's followers elect exiles, those two words that tell us who we are. Elect, I told you, means that God has chosen you to be his child. He he chose you to be part of his family. In God, you're elect. But in the world, you're in exile. That's the second word. Exile means rejection, You've been kicked out. You don't fit in. Life is frustrating. It's constantly disappointing. This world never feels totally right. You see, being elect is a blessing, but being in exile is a burden. And both things are simultaneously true of every Christ follower. You see, God says you're elect. That makes life good. But the world says you don't belong. That makes life hard. God blesses you. The world burdens you. And this is the the dual identity and lived reality of every child of God. And what Peter is telling us is that while we're here, until we get home, we will live in that tension. We will live under that pressure. You're elect. That's the source of your blessings. You're in exile. That's the source of your burdens. Now we're going to see this tension played out in today's passage. We're exiles who don't belong here, but we have hope. Hope that this world can never take away. So how do hopeful exiles live? Well, we live by holding on to four realities that Peter talks to us about. Here's the first one. We have a hope that will never die. Listen again to verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I love how Peter begins. He starts by blessing God. He's calling on his readers to determine in their hearts to praise God and bless God. And this is how so many Jewish prayers began. Blessed be God. Peter's prayer of praise sounds strikingly close 
to the ancient Hebrew prayer called the 18 Blessings. In the synagogue, the 18 blessings were recited three times each day, each one ending with the refrain, Blessed be thou, O Lord. Just imagine those words, Blessed be thou, O Lord, cascading, flowing out no fewer than 54 times a day from God's house. See, if we as exiles are to grab hold of hope, facing a pandemic, dealing with economic hardship, uh, fighting against political and cultural strife, surviving spiritual attacks, whatever may come, we need to continually call ourselves to, to where everything begins. And that is the praise and the blessing of God. God is our father. God is our true home. And you may feel like you're out there somewhere just wandering around all alone. But when you bless God in Christ, the one who died for our salvation to make us children of God, you come home. You enter into his presence. And whenever weary followers of Jesus begin blessing and praising God, hope rises. You see, Peter is, is telling these believers, in God, your Father, through Jesus Christ, you have a living hope. And it doesn't matter if your neighbors reject you because of what you believe. It doesn't matter if they take your job and your home. It doesn't matter even if the Roman government takes your life. You have a hope that cannot die. And Peter says that hope is a gift of God's mercy. It is according to his great mercy. In other words, you didn't earn it. You'll never deserve it. And it doesn't matter how many times you fail. God has mercy and his mercy is great. Can you just say praise God with me? This hope, it comes from being born again. If you know Jesus, if you have placed your trust in him, then God has given you new life and that life never dies. It is eternal life and that is where your hope is. Now notice that God caused you to be born again. You were spiritually dead, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 1. God had to supernaturally give you new life, and that's what he did, and you are now eternally alive. Peter is, is telling you all these same things today. It's all true. It's all real. Are you holding on to this reality? You see, when life is hard, when you're living with pain, when you're rejected and confused, here's what you need to do. You need to go back to the gospel. You need to return to the beginning of your Christian life and you remember what God has done for you. You need to recall and rehearse and recite the reality that God is now your father in Jesus Christ, that God has caused you to be born again, that he has given you new life, eternal life. You see, your hope cannot be in your job or your finances. Your hope cannot be in your marriage or your kids. Your hope cannot be in the economy or in the election. Your hope cannot be right now, friends, listen to me, in a vaccine. See, all these things come and go. They, they never last. Your hope has to be in something bigger and better than everything else. And I'm telling you today, that hope is a person and that person has a name and his name is Jesus. You see, the hope that Jesus gives is a living hope because Jesus defeated death with his eternal life. And now he has given us that eternal life. So do not ever forget that we have eternal life and we have it now. You see, heaven doesn't begin the day you die. It begins the day you meet Jesus. You know, there are some of us who have lost hope. 
Or maybe we're in danger of losing hope. And the reason is we've put our hope in the wrong place. We've looked for hope uh, in the wrong people. But there's only one place and one person who can give you living hope, and that's Jesus. Do you know where your hope is? I want you to listen to this question that the, the psalmist asked himself when he was discouraged. It's from Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. You know, it's good to ask that why question when you feel like you're losing hope. I want you to listen to these verses that are about putting hope in God. Uh, Psalm 25.3 says, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. And then those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's Isaiah 40, verse 31. Friends, we have been born again into a living hope. Why is our hope alive? Well, because Jesus is alive. You see, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We know our hope cannot die because Jesus will never die. You know, I'm convinced that as Peter wrote about living hope, his mind went back to that time when he failed Jesus. Then he was as hopeless as a man could ever get. He thought it was all over for him. Jesus was dead and he had denied him, his master, his teacher, and his friend. But then came that run to the empty tomb. Then came that reunion and that restoration with Jesus and that living hope. And Peter never lost it. And we don't have to lose hope either because our hope never dies. Here's the second reality that we need to hold on to. We have an inheritance we can never lose. Look again at verses four and five where Peter writes that we have been born into God's family. So now he says we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that tomorrow you go out to your mailbox, you open it up and you find there an official letter from a law firm in San Francisco. Your first thought is, am I getting sued? But you open it and the letter tells you that you are the only surviving relative of a billionaire tech hedge fund manager. His estate is valued at over $10 billion. Now they tell you, It will take a year to process everything. But by this time next year, your bank account will have a one with 10 zeros behind it. How would you react? I guarantee you that even if you can't dance, you would do something TikTok worthy. I mean, just out of the sheer excitement of the moment. And you know what else? Anytime during that year of waiting that you begin to feel a little discouraged, you would pull out that letter and you would remind yourself of what was coming and you would do that dance again, right? That's precisely what Peter wanted his readers who were suffering his exiles to do. He wrote them a letter and it was a letter from God. And when they opened it, it told them that they had an inheritance and their inheritance was imperishable. It was undefiled. It was unfading. See, if you have placed your full trust in Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins. God is saying to you today, there is an inheritance in heaven with your name on it. You know, some of us are, are putting our, our hopes in earthly inheritances right now. But we need to be reminded that nothing on this earth is secure. A few years ago, the Wall Street Journal published an article that said, counting on an inheritance, count again. And it said that the bad news was many baby boomers are, are likely to get less money from mom and dad than they thought. And the worst news was they may have to help their parents instead. Honestly, it was a really whiny article. It said, thanks to longer lifespans, and I kid you not about this, <laughs> and the crash of 2008, most boomers can say goodbye to their inheritance. It's kind of like, yeah, too bad mom and dad are living so long, right? Isn't there any way we can get them to die sooner? But this is a reality with earthly inheritance. It is insecure it's unstable. You cannot count on it. And Peter knows this. It's why he emphasizes this in three different ways. Look at these verses again. He says, first, in Christ, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That inheritance is eternal life, and it will never die, and you can never lose it. And then, then he says, it is kept in heaven for you. That, that word kept literally means to guard, to, to protect by a military guard, to prevent a hostile invasion. And so God, God is guarding our inheritance for us. Where? Well, Peter says in heaven. And what safer place could there be? And then third, notice it is God's power that is doing all of this. Nothing is stronger than God, so no power can take our inheritance away. See, if Peter's message is that God chose you, his elect, then the message about the inheritance that God has for us is that God will never unchoose you. You can never lose your inheritance. And the Bible is so clear and it's so wonderful. One day we will live forever in heaven. One day the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem will come down from the sky and we will be at home with the Lord. And if you're there, you will see God and you will live with God and you will get a new glorified body and you will be reunited with loved ones. And in that place forevermore, there will be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow or crying or pain, no more guilt. No more shame, no cancer allowed, no death, no disease, no funerals needed, no divorce or abuse, no murders or thefts or gossip, no broken hearts, no broken dreams, no loneliness. So you live as a hopeful exile when you remember your inheritance. And when we feel discouraged or hopeless, we can intentionally Recall our inheritance. Paul wrote these words for us in Colossians 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. For you died when Christ died and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Can you see how Peter's words came as good news to those elect exiles? 
you know, on their own. They couldn't stand up to the pressures of society or the threats of the Roman government. But with God, nothing could ultimately threaten or pressure them. And they didn't need to be afraid. And the truth is, friends, today, right now, neither do we. We have the blessing of knowing we are God's elect. We face the burden of being exiles in this world, but we have an inheritance we can never lose. Therefore, we have hope. Here's the third reality that we need to hold on to. Number three, we have a purpose our pain cannot destroy. Look at verses six and seven. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Life is hard. And we really feel it in a time like this, a year like 2020. But the reality is that life is hard all the time in this broken world. Sometimes it's just not as hard as other times. And so Peter is telling us that we can rejoice, that we can rejoice in this broken world, that we rejoice in spite of this world. We rejoice in defiance of this world and we rejoice in God's love for us, God's presence with us, God's provision for us, God's power through us. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that out there is all okay. I am saying that for the Christ follower in here can be okay. It can be okay. Life is full of trouble. But the good news is this. God has incredible purpose for us in that trouble. We have a purpose that our pain cannot destroy. And that's why Peter is saying that we can rejoice even if we suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Why? Well, Peter says we can rejoice greatly because we know that trials have a purpose. Verse seven tells us that. Verse seven tells us that the purpose of our trials is to prove the genuineness of our faith. You see, faith under fire gets purified. Just as gold is refined of impurities when it's under great heat. See, the, the ancient goldsmith would take gold ore and put it in a crucible and then liquefy it under intense heat. And that, that intense heat, the fire, would cause the impurities in the gold to rise to the surface and then the goldsmith could skim those impurities off. Do you know how the goldsmith could tell when the gold was pure? It was when he could see his face reflected in the molten gold. In the same way, God purifies us through trials. And as we respond to them with rejoicing, we take on the character of his son, Jesus Christ. God begins to see Jesus' face in us. God makes us more like his son, Jesus. And isn't that what we want more than anything else? If we accept God's purpose in our trials then our hard times do not have to be a waste of time. They, they do not just have to be a bad time. In other words, God's blessings are greater than the world's burdens, so we can rejoice. You know, if you are facing a time of trial right now, whatever it is, under God's providence, it can serve a purpose. It can refine your faith. God can use it for his glory and for our good. And I want you to know something. This kind of statement, it's impossible uh, to fathom for people who do not know the living hope of Jesus Christ. But those who know God 
know that it's true. We can have a peace that passes understanding even when life makes no sense. Finally, how do hopeful exiles live? Well, the fourth way is this. Peter says, we have a joy greater than our words and our world. Look again at verses eight and nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, despite the reality that we live as exiles, that we face rejection and hardship, that we live here as outsiders, people who never feel at home, we have joy. Why? Because we have a savior that we love and we love him even though we do not now see him. We believe in him by faith because he has made himself real to us. And so we have joy and it's inexpressible. And that joy, it's filled with glory. That joy, uh, Peter says, it's greater than our words. Why? Because we know we are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Now notice what Peter says. He says, you are obtaining This is telling us that we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to be saved. It's telling us what we see all through the New Testament, that we are saved right now, today. Do you understand this? I mean, are you living in this reality that you are being saved right now? Because everything else in this life pales in comparison. In fact, when you think about it correctly, nothing else ultimately matters. You know, when I I talk to people and I listen to people, I am convinced sometimes that many of us take for granted the reality of our salvation. I am convinced that many of us get far more excited about temporary earthly blessings. Eternity seems so far away and we're often more worried about the here and the now. And I think that's why Peter writes the next three verses. Starting in verse 10, listen to what he says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I really like how the message paraphrases these verses. Listen uh, to what it says, beginning in verse 10. The prophets who told us this was coming ask a lot of questions about this gift of life God was preparing. The Messiah's spirit let them in on some of it that the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when. All they were told was that they were serving you. You who by orders from heaven have now heard for yourselves through the Holy Spirit, the message of those prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. Listen. The salvation we have in Christ is unbelievable. So unbelievable that the angels and the prophets of old would have given everything to be in on the reality that you and I experience every day. You see, the joy we have in Christ 
It's greater than our words. But it's not only greater than our words, so great that we cannot express it. The joy we have in Christ is greater than our world. And Peter says that joy is is filled with glory. Now, glory is a word that means weighty or heavy. And what Peter is saying is that the burdens are heavy, but the blessings are heavier. So the blessings of God outweigh the burdens of this world. Being in exile far away from home is a burden, but ultimately being elected by God is a blessing that is heavier. You see, the only way to make it through this life is to have something and someone that is heavier, greater, more glorious, more meaningful, more hopeful than this world. And you have someone, his name is Jesus Christ. And when you see him, when you truly see him, you will be filled with rejoicing that is greater than your words, filled with rejoicing that is far deeper and stronger and better than anything this world offers. I was looking for a modern example of a refugee, of an exile, and I I came across the story of a Rwandan woman named Immaculate Ilagabiza. She became a refugee in the horrific violence in Rwanda. Do you remember that? Members of the Hutu tribe were going door to door, killing members of the Tutsi tribe, which was Immaculate's tribe. And so she had to flee for her life. She went into exile. She ended up hiding for seven weeks in a locked out of order bathroom with several other women. While she was there, she she found a Bible to read and it was as a refugee that she became a Christian and she wrote a book about it called Left to Tell. This is part of what she said about what it meant to her as a refugee to know that she was loved and chosen by God. Seven weeks in the bathroom have left us all frighteningly gaunt. We were shrinking in our starvation that left us weak and lightheaded. I could tell by my clothes that I had lost at least 40 pounds. Our skin was pale, our lips were cracked, and our gums were swollen and sore. To make matters worse, since we hadn't showered or changed clothes, we were plagued by a vicious infestation of body lice. We could see them marching across our faces. We may not have been a pretty sight, but I had never felt more beautiful. I was falling in love with God. It felt like I had all I wanted in life. That time was, was thanking God where, where you feel every cell in your body is responding to God's love. Isn't that amazing? She had lost everything as a refugee, but she said she felt like she had everything she had ever wanted in life. Friends, do you see? This is what Peter is telling us. This can be you as well. Whatever is going on in your life, you can live as a hopeful exile because what we have is so wonderful, so beautiful that even the incredibly majestic and powerful beings we know as angels, these beings who live in God's eternal presence, even angels long to know more about the gospel that saves us and gives us hope. Just think about that. How do hopeful exiles live? Well, we hold on to the realities of God, that we have a hope that will never die, that we have an inheritance we can never lose, 
that we have a purpose our pain cannot destroy and that we have a joy greater than our words and even our whole world. We have these realities in Christ. Therefore, do not lose hope. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. We thank you, Father, for our hope that will never die. And Lord, we look forward eagerly to our inheritance, knowing that you are guarding it right now and that one day you will reveal it for all the universe to see. Father, we thank you that knowing all of this empowers us to rejoice even in our pain. And we know, Lord, that you are purifying us and refining us and making us more like Jesus. Father, we love you. And we love you, Jesus. And and though we cannot see you now, we believe in you and we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and that is filled with glory. We pray all these things now in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And all God's people together said, amen, amen. I wanna thank you once again for joining us today. We're so glad you've been here and we pray God's blessings on you this week. I'll see you next Sunday.